please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Micah um, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5 today, and that's page 779 in the Bibles around the room. And then when I'm done reading, I will say this is the reading of God's word, and you will respond by saying thanks be to God, and we respond that way because we are truly grateful that he has provided his word for us. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clan of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall, he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for fulfilling every promise, finishing every work, so that we can become complete and completely in you. God, I pray that you humble our hearts, quiet our minds, open our ears, and focus our gaze upon your majesty. Let us feel your peace today, God. Speak through Pastor Kyle as we move through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Casey. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. Love you, church. So grateful to be a part of this church. If you're a guest with us, welcome to this church. It's awesome to have you. Uh, you might be somebody investigating churches or basically investigating Christianity. And either way, you're welcome here. Uh, we like to open up the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's written word to us. And we're in the book of Micah today. Now, Micah is one of those books that is hard to find. So if you didn't have it, you couldn't find it during the reading, open up now, grab one of the Bibles around you, and go to page 779. That's where you're going to find Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Um, this is the season of Advent. And Advent means the arrival or the anticipation of the arrival of a very important person. And that's what Advent is. That's what the time leading up to the holiday of Christmas is for Christians. It's a season of Advent. It's a season where we anticipate the celebration of Jesus' first coming, but where we also look forward to Jesus' second coming. So where we exist in history today is we exist uh, after the time where Jesus came to live on our behalf and to die for our sins, but we exist in between the time where he's going to come again, where he's going to come and get rid of sin altogether, and he's going to restore this broken world. And so we both look back to Jesus' first advent, and we look forward to his second. And that's what this holiday season is all about. Um, so imagine if you were visiting another country, and you go to the other country, and everybody's speaking a different language, and so you don't really understand every, anything, but you look around and you see pictures. And... Uh, there's a holiday coming up, and there's pictures of a baby, and it's a baby lying in a little manger, and there's uh, shepherds standing around it, and people that look like kings standing around this baby, and they're just looking at this baby, and you're wondering, what the heck is going on? And then you, uh, you drive around, and you see people handing out signs or stickers that say, remember the true meaning of this holiday coming up, and it has to do something with this baby. And you turn the radio on, and there's songs about this baby. 
what would your natural response be? Who the heck is this baby? Who that baby? What child is this? That would be the question we'd be asking. And that's the question we're asking during this Advent season. What child is this? See, sometimes we become so accustomed to all the things that we do that we forget to ask that question. But every Advent season, we need to be asking that question. What child is this? Last week, we talked about that this child, this baby in the manger, is God in the flesh, the one whom he promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, who would come and defeat evil. He's the head crusher of evil. He's, he, he's, the, he's our champion. And this week, we're going to talk about that Jesus is our shepherd, which is why you have candy canes on your seat. Or maybe they're in your stomach now because you ate them, but they were on your seat. Does anybody know why we have pass out candy canes at Christmas? Because it's a J for Jesus. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. Um, we pass out candy canes because they represent the fact that this baby in a manger is our shepherd, the shepherd provided by God, and, and it's shaped like a staff, hence it's a candy cane. And the white on the candy cane is, is, is made for us to remember that because of the shepherd, we are pure of our sins. But the way that we become pure is there's traditionally uh, three red lines on your candy cane. I think these ones have four, but there's traditionally three that represent that the God, the Trinity, has provided salvation through the blood of the cross. And so that's what these represent. And because of that, we can now have peace with God and peace in this life. So Jesus is our shepherd, and you know what it means about us. The Bible says this often about us. We are sheep. Now that is not a mascot that we would naturally choose for ourselves, is it? A few years ago, I coached a soccer team of four and five-year-olds, and we had to pick our team name. And they said, grizzly bears, snakes, dragons. They did not say sheep. (laughs) Because sheep are defenseless. The only thing they can do is annoy their foe with baths. Sheep need guidance. Otherwise, they, they will die. I was in the mountains a few months ago up near Idaho, and there was a, a thousand sheep on the hillside. And the shepherd had left them in this one area too long. And I, after I walked through that area, they literally ate everything. The only thing there was dirt and poop. It looked like a nuclear bomb had gone off. And, and it smelled like it too. And I realized if they didn't have a shepherd guiding them along, they would just eat themselves to starvation. They need guidance, and we as people need guidance. And then lastly, uh, the sheep have a tendency to wander. This last week I read about a, uh, a flock of sheep that the first sheep was eating and grazed his way off a cliff, and then the rest of the flock just went off the cliff also. The farmer lost over $175,000 because sheep need a shepherd. So it's humbling to admit that we're sheep, but the good news of the gospel is that God has given us a shepherd. Amen? And that's what this passage is about. So we're going to look at six points today. Normally I do like three. We got double that today. So double your money on this. Double the fun. First point, God has promised us a shepherd. God has promised us a shepherd. Uh, this is, we find this in verses, I'm going to read one through four. So it starts with judgment in verse 1. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. 
But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. What's going on here is, is Micah is written 700 years B.C., 700 years before Christ. And what, what was going on with God's people, Israel, is God had allowed them to have kings. And he told the kings, if you're faithful to me, all things will go well with you in your kingdom. But, God, but the kings that they appointed were not faithful. They led the people astray. They didn't bring peace. They led them into sin. The specific sins that Micah rebukes in this book are the sins of idolatry, valuing created things as much, as, uh, as much or more than you value God. He rebukes them for the, the sins of not caring about God's word. He also rebukes them for the sins of neglecting the poor. And these sins sound familiar, don't they? And then he also rebukes them because these people had this attitude where they said, well, we're Israel and God is with us. So it doesn't matter if we sin, no harm is going to come against us. And so Micah writes this book and it's a book of judgment. And so you read it and it's really dark because God's saying, no, you've sinned against me. Judgment is coming. But it's also a book of promise. The book of Micah flows like this. God makes a judgment and then he gives a promise. He makes a judgment and then he gives a promise. In verse one, we see the judgment. Your king is gonna be struck. At the time, they had a king named Ahaz. And Ahaz was such a bad king that he killed his own son as child sacrifice to the false god Molech to gain personal advantage in life. Wickedness. That's how bad it got. And the people didn't care. They just let it happen. That's how bad it got. And so God said, I'm, had, I'm having enough with this. Judgment is coming upon you, but, but I'm gonna give you a better king. I'm gonna give you a better shepherd. God promises a shepherd. Now this promise is a promise of hope, but it's also a promise of grace. It's a promise of hope because God says, though you have sinned against me and judgment is coming, and it says in verse three that it's gonna be a long time before he provides another king. God gives them the hope that he's not gonna leave them hanging. Don't we have a good God? The God of the Bible will not leave you hanging. And then it's also a promise of grace because we need to know that God made this promise not after they got their act together, but during their idolatry. While they were still sinning, God promised that he would send them a shepherd. We have a gracious God. That's what grace is. It's, it's a gift that's given that we don't deserve. You see, many of us have this attitude that God is like an impatient boss. That when we screw up enough, he finally is just like, you know what? I, get out of my presence. But the reality of God is and he's not an impatient boss. He's a patient and loving father who he will discipline his children, but he always is gonna provide what is best for them and he's always gonna provide his gracious love. And he makes a promise in verse three. He says, therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has been given birth. And so what God is saying there in verse three is there's gonna come a point in Israel's history where they're not gonna have a king anymore and they won't have another king until there's a woman who gives birth in Bethlehem. Now think about that for a moment. 
Verse three only highlights a woman giving birth. And this is a patriarchal society. That would have never happened. So this is an allusion to the fact that God's promised shepherd will be recognized when a virgin woman has a baby in the little town of Bethlehem. And it's made 700 years before it happens. Now, some of us are like, well, I don't know if I can believe that. A virgin birth, that's impossible. If you're saying that, you're getting the point. (laughs) It is impossible. It's a miracle. It's what we need. We need a shepherd who is not one of us. But we also need one who is one of us. We need one who's one of us, but also from God. And that's who this baby Jesus is. He's from us. He's from the woman, but he's also from God. And then secondly, some of us have this idea, or we've been taught maybe in college, that uh, Jesus is no, no, nobody special, but he knew the Old Testament promises as a Jew. And so he went around his life fulfilling those promises to dupe people into following him. But this is a promise of where he would be born. And you know what you don't get to choose in life? Where you're born. (laughs) And so this is actually a testimony that God is faithful to fulfill his promise. Even Mary didn't want to go to Bethlehem. Mary was in another city far away, and she had to go to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus at the time had called for all people to return to their family's place of origin so that they could do a census. And so God forced the hand to bring about this shepherd in Bethlehem. And what this shows us is that God is faithful on coming through in his promises. So what child is this that we see in the manger? It's the shepherd. It's the sign that God has come to fulfill his promises. And you know, that's what we're here today to recognize. That's what faith really is. Faith is believing in God's promises, even when it doesn't make sense. So the second point I have today is this, is that he will be a shepherd from God and for God. Look at verse two. Verse two, in the middle of it, it says, from you, so that's from Bethlehem, shall come forth for me, that's from God, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. You see, the problem with Israel's kings up until this point is they were only from man and they had wandering hearts that wandered away from God. And so God said, you know what? I'm going to give you another king. He's going to come from me. It says in uh, verse two at the end of it that he's going to be from ancient of days. That phrase is only used in the Bible to refer to God himself, that this, this baby in a major is from ancient of days. Think about that for a moment. He's God from God, light from light. He doesn't have a beginning because he always was and he always will be. And he's also gonna be for God. It says in the middle of verse two that he's gonna come forth for me, God says. And what that means is he's he's saying, he's gonna shepherd on my behalf with my heart. Perhaps this is why he was born in the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was famous only for one thing. It was the city where the great King David was born. And the great King David was famous for having a heart that loved God. And so God is saying in this that I'm gonna give you a shepherd who has a heart for me. He's gonna lead with my truth. He's gonna lead with my love. He's gonna lead with my justice. He's gonna be unlike anything this world has ever seen because he's gonna be from me. So the people reading this, as they were looking at the horrible King Ahaz, 
who led astray the people and didn't care for the poor and killed his son for his own personal advantage are reading about a child who's going to come and do the exact opposite. Who will lead them into right worship with God, who will care for their poor souls, and who won't kill his son for his own advantage, but will lay down his own life for the advantage of the people. And this is why he goes on to say further down in in verse 4 that he will lead in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. The word majesty is where we get that, that idea of majestic or wonder or awe or something impressive. And this is a promise that when this child grows up, he is gonna, everywhere he goes, he's gonna touch and people are gonna recognize the majesty of God. So no wonder crowds of tens of thousands of people flock to Jesus because they never heard anybody teach like him. And they could sit there and listen to him all day long. It's kind of funny when you read the New Testament and you read these stories about Jesus. These people would go to him. They would leave their city. Whole cities would just leave to go seek Jesus and they would listen to him teach all day long. They wouldn't eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I never think about skipping those meals. (laughs) But something about his presence made them forget time altogether. It was wonderful. It was majestic. And it says here, In verse four, he says, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And that word Lord is in all caps. And so when you read the word Lord in all caps in your Old Testament, it means the word Yahweh. It's the the covenantal name that God has given to his people. Now say his name with respect. Let's say it together. Yahweh, the covenantal name of God. God doesn't reveal his name as Yahweh till Exodus chapter three, when he delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt. And when he did that, he brought on miraculous plagues. He divided an ocean so his people could walk through. He defeated uh, the army of Egypt. He led them into the wilderness and they got thirsty and hungry. And so he had Moses strike a rock and water flowed from the walk. He rained down bread from heaven every day. He brought quail in so that they could eat meat. When they wandered around and other nations came against them, he fought their battles for them and defeated them. This is the power of Yahweh. And so when they say here in Micah that this this boy is gonna grow up and he's gonna shepherd in the strength of Yahweh, that's what they were thinking about. There's gonna be a shepherd who by his word can heal diseases. Who in his presence, demons flee. And isn't that what we see in the story of Christ? Through with a touch, he can multiply food to feed thousands. He can calm storms. There's a time when the disciples are on a boat with Jesus and the storm gets really crazy. It's really bad because half the disciples are fishermen and they decide that they're all gonna die. But Jesus is what? Sleeping. (laughs) Because he's Yahweh. He ain't scared. Can't scare Jesus. And then he gets up And he looks around and he sees the storm and he says, shh, be quiet. And guess what happens? It does. And so then they ask the question, what man is this that the wind and waves obey him? Isn't that the same question that we're asking today? What child is this? He's the Lord. He's Yahweh. He's the shepherd who's come to lead us in the strength of the Lord. And I believe that Micah is writing this through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we would read this all these years later and have wonder in our hearts for this child. But I wonder if we've become too busy to wonder. I wonder if we've become too familiar 
with the little things we do and the busyness of our lives to just have awe of God. The third thing he will be is he will be our ruler. Verse two says it very clearly. It says, from you shall come forth for me one who's to be ruler in Israel. Ruler. In the ancient Middle Eastern times, the kings were called shepherds because their office was king, but their job was to shepherd, to care, to lead, to guide, to feed, to protect. But they were still kings. And a lot of people in modern Christianity want Jesus to be our shepherd, but we don't want him to be our ruler. And you can't separate the two. We like to think of Jesus as a good guy or a good example or a life coach to give us good suggestions or a therapist to make us feel good about ourselves or a consultant that's only sought out when we have major needs. But that's not who Jesus is, church. If you want Jesus to be your shepherd, you have to acknowledge him as your ruler, your ruler. And so what it means to have Jesus as our ruler, it means he wins on all of our disagreements. All of our political ideologies bow to Jesus as ruler. To be a Christian is to be political. Christianity is political. Now, I'm not saying it's political in the sense of American conservative or liberal politics. It's political because Jesus is a king. And all political ideologies of every nation bow to the political ideologies of Jesus when he's king. It means that how we view other people bows to how Jesus views other people. The people that disgust you, Jesus loves. And so when you're going to follow Jesus, it's your heart that needs to change, not his. Have you ever noticed that many of the people that Jesus seeks out in the Gospels are the people that the church pushes away? Because we wouldn't want our daughters dating those kind of people. But those are exactly who Jesus pursues. To have Jesus as our ruler means that our understanding and our practice of sexuality bows to Jesus' view of sexuality. Even when the whole world disagrees, even when our family members who we love so much disagree, and even when our own passions disagree. To have Jesus as our ruler means that our goal of life bows the suburban goal of life is not to become rich, but we do try to make our own little comfortable kingdoms, don't we? But that bows to Jesus, whose goal of life is to glorify God at great sacrifice. And the church will not thrive unless it starts making great sacrifices for the sake of others. To have Jesus as our ruler means that the desires of our heart bow to the desires of Jesus' heart. So when your heart says, do this, it will make you happy, but it disagrees with the Bible, you know what you do if you're a Christian? You say, well, my heart's lying to me. I'm going to go with the Bible because Jesus is my shepherd. When you want to lie at work, 
because you screwed up and you can get away with it, you bow and tell the truth because God's word calls us to tell the truth. When you know that you're doing something that your heart is saying you want to do and everybody's saying follow your heart, you say, no, I'm going to follow Jesus and his heart. We bow. He is our ruler, church. Now, it might sound off-putting to a selfie culture. But remember, we were made for this. The Bible doesn't call us shepherds. It calls us sheep. And it calls him our shepherd. And whenever creation and the creator are in alignment, the creation is most satisfied. Whenever you're, you're operating how you were supposed to operate, you're going to be satisfied. So think about it like this with your body and food. Your body is created to eat healthy food, proteins, healthy starches, vegetables, even though a lot of them are really gross, fruit. When you eat those things and you drink a lot of water, your body feels more satisfied. What if you said to your body, you know what, I want to eat ice cream. And you ate ice cream for breakfast, and you ate it for snack, and you ate it for lunch, and you ate it for dinner, and you ate ice cream for second dinner, and you had ice cream all day long, how would your body eventually feel dissatisfied, unhappy, because you weren't created to live like that? And as Christians, and as people, we were created to have a shepherd, and Jesus is our shepherd. We were created to have him as our ruler, and so we will be most satisfied when he is most glorified in our lives. And the reverse is also true, as John Piper says, that God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. Maybe the reason that you feel so empty this Christmas season is because you are trying to sit on the throne of your heart instead of letting him sit on the throne of your heart. And maybe this is the whole mission of Jesus' ministry. In Mark's gospel, his first words during his ministry are repent for the kingdom of heaven as at hand. And that word repent just means put me on the throne of your heart and take yourself off. He is our ruler, church. And our gospel witness and increasingly dark culture will not shine bright unless we make Jesus our king. The fourth thing is that his greatness shall be to the ends of the earth. In verse four, in the middle of it, it says that God's people shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to 